Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. So years ago, I was in uh, Peru in the Amazon rainforest, and we were at like this kind of remote um, basically lodge that was really, uh, really out kind of in the middle of nowhere. And, and one evening they said, hey, do you want to go caiman hunting? Do you know what a, a caiman is? It's, it's uh, Amazon alligator, okay? So it's the middle of the night and we're going to go alligator hunting. So we jump into the motorboat and we're cruising along. And we go probably for about 45 minutes and then we reach this canoe that's tied to a tree and we get out of the motorboat and into the canoe. Now, the canoe sits about this high off the water. Now, I've only seen the trailer to the movie Anaconda, but I'm thinking this isn't very smart. So we all get in the canoe, and I find myself somehow as the youngest in the very back of the canoe. And everybody knows it's the person in the back that gets taken first, right? (laughs) So we're going along, and our guide has a machete in his hand, and he's hitting the trees. We're still in the boat. We're not on a trail. We're in the boat. And I, at the very back, say, hey, what's what's he doing? He said, it's marking the trees with fresh markings so we don't get lost. And I'm thinking, man, I was the one saying, let's go, but this is a really, really bad, bad idea. No Kaiman, we make it back safely. But I, I, I just had this thought as we prepare to go into this series called Holy Rebels. And, and here's the thought. Does culture feel a little bit swampy to you? Yes. A little bit chaotic, like I don't know where I'm going and I don't know how to live out my faith and I'm really struggling and there's a lot going on and I want to look and love like Jesus and I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to navigate that. And, and if, if you're like me, I want more than one guy with the machete and his word for it. Are you with me? Like, and so here's what I wanna do through this series is I want to give you some tools to navigate culture from a kingdom perspective. And so we're gonna talk about some, some, some challenging issues. I'm not, my goal is not to tell you what to think on every little detail because how many of you know that complex circumstances and situations cannot have blanket answers? Are you with me? But I want to give you some of the tools in order to navigate culture really well so that you can say this, that I am all in with Jesus. I am following him with my whole heart, and I am loving people really well, and I'm not compromising on truth, and I'm leading my family well, and I am doing the very best I can by faith to follow God. Are you up for that? So... Yesterday, I'm I'm reading just my devotion time, not teaching prep, but I'm I'm reading in the book of Judges, and I come to the story in Judges chapter six of a young man named Gideon, and Gideon is like in the least of the least of the least families, and he's the youngest, and he's basically like a nobody, and God begins to speak to him. 
And so eventually he says, okay, God, I'm going all in with you. And so what he does, after they do this whole fleece exchange, you can read about it, really cool. But what he, what he does is in the middle of the night, he goes and he ta- tears down the statues that they've erected to Baal and the Asherah pole, which is to a goddess of fertility. And what's going on in their day is that they have compromised. And, and they've started trying to blend in with the culture and be like the culture and fear has begun to set in because maybe if we're not like the culture, then maybe won't, we won't be blessed and our businesses won't work and all of that stuff. And so they're in a day of compromise. Now, here's what you need to understand the parallels of that story. A lot of people will try to draw parallels between Israel and America. That is not the parallel. Okay? The parallel is between Israel and the people of God. Are you with me? And so when we begin to see it that way, we stop projecting God's values onto our culture. That doesn't help anybody. We can always expect the world to be the world and to live like the world. Are you with me? So we don't judge the world by what God's calling us to. It's unfair. And it will always leave you frustrated and them wounded, and it's just going to make a mess. But instead, what we should realize is that probably in our own lives, there's some bells and some Asherah poles. That what God's calling you and I to be is to be Gideons who are willing to, to take a hatchet to the Asherah poles, to the statues, to the, the, the gods of Baal. Now, we're way, way more creative with our idolatry than they were in their day. Our idolatry is often rooted in our ideology. And so, but what if this? This is what Gideon did. He, he tears down the altars that his family has erected to Baal, and he makes a bonfire. And on top of that bonfire, he puts a sacrifice. And in all of that, it's built on an altar. And he says, you know what? I am giving my very all to God. And here's what I believe God wants for you and for me in this day, is that we would take our idols and that we would turn them into altars and that we would live a consecrated life that worships God. And so I believe in our day, what we're going to see in our church family, what we're going to see is that God's going to lead us in what it looks like to live a consecrated life, to be holy rebels, to be a people that say, hey, we are all in with him. We don't care which direction culture is going. It's not our job to judge culture. It's our job to love people. And what we're going to see is him move in a mighty way and fire fall from heaven that blesses his people, his heart, and the whole world. Amen? Amen. All right, you're with me. I'm going to preach it anyways, but if you're with me, it's more fun. So I want to give you uh, really a, a framework on how to navigate cultural complexities with a kingdom perspective. And so the call is this, that we would be holy rebels. Now, some of you, that like touches a little bit of religion in you because the word rebellion and Proverbs says rebellion's like witchcraft. That's not what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm talking about. 
is that we will live a holy life. And what holiness looks like is that I am set apart, that I'm consecrated, that I belong to God. It's not a holier than thou thing. It's not about comparison. It's saying this, that my life is wholly his and I'm going to live devoted to him. And the idea of, of rebels is, is really just a play on words. Uh, I think so often the church has missed our responsibility to be salt and light. And, and so instead, we've tried to look like the world to reach the world instead of being a city on a hill that draws the world to Jesus. Okay? And so here's what I'm not going to do in this series. My goal is not to try to tell the world how to live because the world's not who's here. The world's not my responsibility in that way. My desire is to bring us all up to a kingdom way of living that, that really, really looks like Jesus. That creates a safe place for people who are struggling with all the complexities of culture and helps them find the love of Jesus that helps us as parents know how to raise our kids, that helps those who are empty nesters. I've, I've just seen this in the last, especially three years. It's bigger than that because it's a, it's a constant scheme of the enemy. But I, I've seen this divide enter into families where parents aren't talking to their kids anymore because parents are, are maybe like, okay, I, I can't compromise on truth. And kids are like, my, my parents are maybe just jerks and they're totally missing it. And, I, and I've seen this that breaks my heart. I've seen young people walk away from Jesus because they don't know how to deal with the pressure. And they, they, they don't know what it looks like to say, you know what, I'm going to be wholly devoted to Jesus. I'm, I'm going to belong to him and I'm gonna love my friends really well. And if they think I'm weird, that's fine. But I'm still gonna love them. So my desire is that we would learn what it looks like to live as holy rebels. And I wanna, this morning, I'm going to just lay some foundation. Is that all right? So we won't get into the heavy stuff this morning. But I'm still going to call you to repentance. Is that all right? <laughs> so the first key to living as a holy rebel is uncompromising holiness. Uncompromising holiness. I think Daniel in the Bible is an incredible picture of what it looks like to live an uncompromising holiness. Now, Daniel doesn't live in a day like our day. It's not democracy and it's not freedom. He's actually a captive, most likely been made a eunuch, and he's brought into Babylon, which means chaos. And he's made to serve a wicked king. Now, some of you think that your boss is bad. You should try Nebuchadnezzar. And so the, the first thing that they do, they get them all cleaned up. They take the best of the best of the Jewish boys, get them all cleaned up, and they, they, they bring them, and they begin to train them. And they say, hey, we're, go, we're going to change some things about your life. We're going to change your diet. Seems like not a big deal. And here's what they say. We actually want you to eat the choicest of foods, the best foods. Now, if I were Daniel, the eunuch part would have been where I objected. <laughs> Daniel objects at the food part. 
And here's what he says. He says, no, I can't eat all of that. Instead, what he says is, I'm only going to eat fruit and vegetables. We get the Daniel fast out of that. Now, the king's representative says, hey, that's not going to work because he's going to find you looking unhealthy and in bad shape. And so he's going to get mad at all of us if you're not at your best. And Daniel says, would you just trust me and watch what my God does? And sure enough, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those guys, those four guys look incredible. They're healthier than everybody eating the best of foods. Here's an interesting thing. If the enemy wants to lead you into compromise, one of the first ways he's going to get you to compromise is through your appetites. I'm not necessarily talking about what you eat and drink. Maybe it's that for you. But what he's going to want to do is to lead you into compromise through your appetites, the things that you're drawn to that satisfy your flesh. But he's got some more steps. And so if you were to fast forward to Daniel chapter six, we see something else. They've started to realize that Daniel is getting promoted and he's a threat to their power and position. And so they say, hey, we, Daniel is holy We can't really get him tripped up on anything that would cost him his job. He's getting promoted ahead of us. And so they say, we know one way that we can get him. We can get him in his devotion to his God. So what we'll do is we'll talk to the king. I believe it was Darius in this day. We'll talk him into erecting a big statue and making everybody worship at it. And if they worship and pray to anybody but him will have their lives taken. We'll get him to put it into the law of the Medes and the Persians. They can't be reversed. And once that happens, we'll have Daniel's head and we'll have the promotion instead of him. What does Daniel do? Daniel doesn't protest. He doesn't take to the streets. Instead, what he does, he says, I'm not going to compromise, but I'm going to do it quietly. Just going to keep doing what I'm doing. So Daniel continues to pray and continues to pray. Three times a day, you can find Daniel praying. So eventually the story unfolds. You know the story. You've probably been to Sunday school. It's the whole Daniel in the lion's den thing. God saves him. His enemies get thrown in and they're taken out. But here's what I want you to catch. What often starts as the scheme to trip us up with our appetites ends with the scheme to trip us up in our beliefs and devotion to God. But when we say, like Daniel, we're going to be a people of uncompromising holiness, to be so devoted to God that whatever schemes the enemy throws at me, I will not give up that ground. Then on the day, and I'm not a doom and gloom future guy, if you get to know me, okay? But on the day that they come after your beliefs, you don't have a pathway of compromise. You've said every little bit matters. What I give my affections to, what I give my appetites to, in secret matters on the day that compromise comes for my beliefs. Now, it's like none of us would fault Daniel if we would have gone after the food. And even been like, man, you're coming after my life. 
I get the compromise there. But Daniel realized this, that him living in uncompromising holiness was an act of worship to his God. So I believe in our day, Daniel is an incredible picture of what it looks like to live as a holy rebel. Take time to read the book of Daniel. Some of the prophetic stuff in there is complicated, difficult to understand. That could take some research and study. It's worth it. But look at his life. Look at the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at their lives and the way that they live and allow that to be what prompts you on how to live in our day. I love this. Theologian David Wells says this. Worldliness is what any particular culture does to make sin seem normal and righteousness seem strange. You with me? Worldliness, it is up there, but I'll say it again. Worldliness is what any particular culture does to make sin seem normal and righteousness seem strange. Do you feel that in our day? It's like, whoa, you believe that? That's not like, some of the beliefs in your head are unacceptable to culture. And will you compromise to fit in or you say, you know what, I'm just gonna keep loving my God. I don't have to be a loud voice. Now I think Daniel's way of holy rebellion is different than Elijah's. I think both are valid when led by the Holy Spirit. The second key to living as a holy rebel, unshakable love. Unshakable love. Go with me to Mark chapter two. I'm going to get a real good picture of a holy rebel. Look at the life of Jesus. Talk politics. Anybody excited to talk politics in church? Probably do that next week. Um, what you'll find is that Jesus was surrounded by everybody that believed all sorts of different stuff. And he loved them all and called them to a higher way of life. Anyways, Mark. Chapter two, start in verse 15. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors. Now, some of you would see the IRS as the same as they would see tax collectors in that day. However, let me be very clear. There was something much more nefarious going on in their day. You see, for a a Jewish tax collector, to be a tax, for a Jewish person to be a tax collector, it was a place of incredible compromise. They were siding with the Roman people and they were extorting money. They weren't simply collecting taxes. They were given the freedom to extort money for their own benefit from their people to give to an occupying army. They weren't people that anybody else in their culture liked. It says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners, don't you love that word? Like what it said like that, like as as a noun, that's like sinners. Sinners were eating with him, and I'm saying that sarcastically, I actually don't run around calling people sinners. Um, It's not, yeah. We're eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him, When the teachers of the law, 
who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, two different categories. Here's what that second category would have been. It would have been drunkards. It would have been prostitutes. It would have been thieves. It would have been people not who were quietly sinning. It would have been people who were known to be breakers of the law of Moses. They weren't your average person who goes to synagogue on a Saturday. It says, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The call for us, if we're gonna be a people of, who are holy rebels, the call for us is to live with unshakable love. Are you with me? Like my love for you is not determined by your behavior. My love for you is not determined by the ways that you qualify your life and your lifestyle. It's not determined by your identity or by what you do. It's not determined by the perceived distance or animosity that we should have for each other. I'm going to love you no matter what. And I'm not simply going to love you from afar. That's really easy, isn't it? But I'm going to love you by sharing a table with you. I'm not going to kick you out of the family because you believe a different way and you act a different way and you're not behaving the way that we raised you. But instead, I'm going to continue to invite you to sit with me because you don't have the, de- the power to determine my love for you. My love comes from a whole nother source and that source never runs dry. Now my love may lead me into heartbreak over what's going on in your life, but I will not separate my love from you because I have a God in heaven who never separates his love from me. And so though there may be times when we totally disagree with the lifestyle and the decisions that people are living in, it does not ever give us permission to turn our love off. Are you with me? You see, you're not allowed by King Jesus to have flesh and blood enemies. Doesn't matter if they vote differently, they look differently, they dress differently. Doesn't matter what they believe or what they do behind closed doors. You're not allowed by King Jesus to have enemies. They are not your enemy. And so you cannot turn your love off. Number three, living the life of a holy rebel requires unwavering truth. Love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys are phenomenal. So they're called to compromise. They're in Daniel's days, Daniel chapter three. Here, let's let's go there. Verse 
Look at verse 16. So they're supposed to compromise. And the result of not compromising, you know it, is getting thrown into the fiery, fiery furnace. And so the king's disappointed that they're not compromising. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if not, what if we become a but even if not people? Like I fully believe in my God and what he's called me to, and he's going to save me. But even if not, right? Like, it's not that we can like make it up to the line and say, well, God didn't save me. And so now I'll compromise. But even if not. Now, here's what we know happened. I'll keep reading. No, I'll tell the story. So here's what we know happened from there is that everybody's watching the, the fires like 10 times hotter than hot. And all of a sudden, there's another man in the fire. The guards, when they went to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they died from the heat, even though they never were in the fire. And here are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, plus Jesus in the fire. Finally, they realized, hey, these guys are in the fire, but they're not being burned. I don't know how it's working, but we should probably give up. There's something going on here. So they order them to be taken out, and here's what they find. They don't even smell like smoke. Interesting thing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't pick up swords for their truth. They didn't try to force their revelation of truth on anybody else. They didn't call everybody else to arms because of their truth. You see, one of the things I think we've missed in the church is that truth is not our weapon. Truth is two things. Truth is a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The second is, if you were to look at Ephesians chapter 6, and it's talking about the armor of God. I love what it says. I think it's in 10. It says our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? So we don't have flesh and blood enemies. It goes on to say, put on the belt of truth. Now, some of you have had some physical experiences with the belt, not talking about that. A belt is not a weapon. A belt holds everything up and in its right place. You see, truth that God reveals to you, truth that we find revealed in Scripture, truth that the Holy Spirit leads us into, is not our weapon to fight people with. Are you with me? I'm not saying we abandon the truth, but what I'm saying is it's meant to hold us up. It's meant to hold us together. It's meant to protect us. It's meant to protect you. It's not a weapon that you try to use to beat somebody else with. In fact, the only weapon in the whole passage on the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit. 
Are you with me? Here's the interesting thing, though, about the sword of the Spirit. It's not a giant samurai sword. It's a short dagger. And you, you want to know what the purpose of that sword was? It wasn't actually for combat. It was used to pull out the arrows that made it past the armor. And so you dig it out with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's how you make it when the arrows from the enemy make it past your armor and your shield. And so often, church, we've tried to say, we've tried to use truth as a weapon. If we have any weapon at all, it's our love. It's our love. And so what we use truth for we stand in unwavering truth and what we use it to is to hold us up in the midst of the fight. And if the fire gets hot and it gets 10 times hotter than hot and we get thrown in it, we say, you know what? I'm like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I am not giving up on the truth because I know what Jesus said in John 8, 32. It's the truth that sets me free. It's not my compromise. It's not being relevant and it's not being liked. It's the very truth that sets me free. And that truth is a person. It's not just an ideology. It's not just some words. It's a person and I've got relationship with him. And here's what you'll find. When you find yourself rooted and grounded in truth and you're living in that place, what you'll find is that truth becomes an anchor, that everything else gets blown away when the storm comes, but that truth makes you a bright light in a city on a hill. That truth will endure the test of time and will the very people that thought they were your enemies will be running to you because you lived in truth with love surrounded by holiness. And so for us, the call is that we would recognize we're supposed to live as the people of God in uncompromising holiness, unshakable love, and unwavering truth. Go with me as we wrap up to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll start in verse 20 says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who clean themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. It then goes on to say, flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, Love and peace, and, along with, uh, and uh, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Well, this is a good one, church. If you could get one verse, this is a good one. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments about politics. <laughs> foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Somewhere else in the New Testament, it says the man of God does not quarrel. Oh, no, it's this verse, actually. And the Lord's servant must, be quarrel, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading 
them to a knowledge of the truth. Must be gently instructed. Can I just ask you a, a question? Would those in your life who know that you disagree with them, would they tell you, you know what, we disagree, but it's been gentle? Would they say, it's been really harsh? It's been wounding. It's made me want to run from Jesus and the church. Has it been gentle? And if not, probably one of the most redemptive things you could do is to say, I am sorry I was wrong. You see, you can be absolutely right in what you say and still dead wrong. says, opponents must be gently instructed. This isn't just some thought. This is the inspired word of God. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. My heart breaks because what I've seen in religion, in the church, is that so often our efforts play right into the schemes of the enemy. So often our passion about truth has been void of love. And the other side can be absolutely true. Sometimes our passion for love has lost any bit of grounding in truth. And when that happens, that compromise stops allowing love to be love. Because love can't be love without truth. And truth can't be truth without love. Not if they're meant to be the way that the kingdom intends for truth and love to be. So the call for you and I is to abandon our people pleasing, our desire to be liked, to make people happy, to fit in, to be cool, to blend into culture to be relevant, all of those things. Say, I belong to Jesus. I'm going to look like him and I'm going to love like him. And as we do, I believe, church, we'll see the very life of God in our midst and we'll see revival and reformation like we could have never imagined. You see, concerned that all of the church's tricks to be more relevant to the world has only made the church look more like the world and the world say, I want nothing to do with that. It has no power, it has no authority, it's not different, it's full of hypocrites. But what if we became a people who said, you know what, if I'm a little weird, it's okay. If I don't fit in, that's fine. Because I'm going to be fully devoted to him. Some of you this morning, it's not even my words, it's just the spirit of God is tugging on you. 
and you're realizing, man, I have been living in compromise. Some of us, the compromise is, is, is not external compromise, it's internal compromise. And what God's inviting you to do is to live a consecrated life. To say, God, my life is fully yours. And in that, what I would invite you to do is to just trust your life to Jesus. Take it out of your own hands, out of the hands of other people and say, you know what? My life is in Jesus. For some of you, you made that decision when you were a little kid just a couple of years ago. You find yourself again saying, I need to lay my life down. For others of you, you haven't ever made that decision, and now is the time. Just a couple of minutes, we'll have a prayer team up here, and they would love to pray with you just to walk you into that decision. We'll also have the altars open, so there'll be a prayer team standing here, and you can just smile at them and go right on by. If you just need to just say, you know what, I'm stepping into something new and I need to, to get out of my seat and just pray and lay my life down before God. Would you stand with me? Prayer team, you guys can come forward. I want us to finish by making a couple of declarations. Do you say this after me? I belong to Jesus. My life is his. And I'm a holy rebel. I live with uncompromising holiness. Unshakable love. And unwavering truth. So Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would work in our minds and in our hearts, in our spirits, that we would look more like you, Jesus. Lord, that we would make way for you in our hearts, for your spirit to lead us. And Lord, that the end result would be that we glorify you, that the world gets a glimpse of what you're like by the way that we live, the way that we love. And so, Lord, we just invite you, Lord, as we leave this place in just a few minutes, Lord, that we would be marked by you, set apart, holy, sacred, belonging to you. In Jesus' name, amen.